Well, hey, we are small but mighty this morning. How are you doing out there? You good? Hey, uh, did you eat too much? I ate, too, I ate way too much this week, uh, but it was so, so good. We were going, the volunteers were going around in a circle sharing all of the fun things that they ate, the, their favorite things, and it was, oh, made me hungry again. Hey, we're going to start with a poll, actually. Um, I'm going to come down here. Um, we're going to start with a poll this morning. How many of you moved to Colorado? Show of hands. How many of you are Colorado natives? Show of hands. Yeah, see, they're getting fewer and far between. Like, like seriously, and honestly, let's give it up for the natives in the room. It's, it's, it's an admirable thing for sure. Um, are, are, are you guys natives? Yeah, okay, cool. Um, I, I always tell people I'm not a native, but my kids are, um, which should count for something. But um, th- it's interesting, if, you, if you've been here a while, do this. How many of you have moved here in the last, let's go five years? Oh, about 10 years, five, 10 years, yeah. Um, if you've been here long, you know that Colorado's kind of a hot commodity right now. Like a lot of people are moving here, like upwards of like 700,000 people have moved here since 2010. Um, 200 people a day is, is, is a stat that I heard this week of people. Uh, and that wasn't even in research for this. I, someone just, uh, you know, like it was in conversation of how many people are moving to Colorado right now. And like that, that came up. Um, and, uh, but you know what's interesting is one of the things, I, I saw a couple articles, if you type in Colorado growth population, that kind of thing right now, you'll actually find some articles that are titled like, more Colorados, Coloradans are moving out of Colorado. Um, it's actually kind of plateaued, the amount of people moving here, uh, as well as the amount of people moving out of Colorado is increasing and I have, the, you know, like the, the, the articles that I read said ha- had to do with um, housing prices, of course, traffic, and a couple other things like that. And I, but I also have a, an anecdotal theory on this of people that I've talked to. I think Mother Nature kind of every, every couple years looks at Colorado and says there's way too many people there, so I'm going to, like, send a horrible winter their way to kind of purge people, or, or more likely, like, I'm not going to send a, I'm, I'm not just going to send a horrible winter, I'm just going to skip spring entirely, there, spring, you know, like, no spring for you this year, Colorado, and we're kind of, like, in the middle of that right now, like, that was this last spring, and now we have this fall that's just full of snow, and, and my guess is, like, we'll see people leaving Colorado, like, ah, I'm done. In fact, I, I even ran into a couple this last, uh, this last spring, at the end of the school year, I went to, like, the end of the school year party. And um, I, I, I saw, I met this woman that I had not met before, and I was like, you know, we were talking about summer plans, and she's like, well, I'm, I'm moving tomorrow. And I was like, wait, are you kidding me? She's like, oh, yeah, we're from Florida, and I can't handle this. She's like, literally, my husband's already gone. She, her husband had already moved back like a week or two ahead just because he had a chance to do it. She was leaving the next day to go back to Florida because the weather was so bad. And honestly, like in order, like, like we're in this series called Change of Forecast, Change in Forecast. And, and it's like, like in these, it's like there's a group of people out there that you'll run into them that they'll rage quit Colorado. In order to change, change in forecast, they just change locations. They just leave Colorado completely. If you've been with us uh, this, in this series, it's not a series about weather. It's about, this, it's a series about weather in relationships. That the fact that every relationship 
has a climate. Every relationship, every marriage, every partnership, every friendship, every employee-boss relationship, all of them, they have climates, right? And they can be good, they can be bad, they can be warm, they can be cold, they can be stormy. Um, but every relationship has a climate. Um, and, and one of the things that we've kind of, a theme that you may maybe have picked up on if you've been here through the series is the idea of like your contribution to that climate, right? We've been talking about that. We started the first week by asking this question, what's it like to be on the other side of me? This is kind of a weather check kind of question. Like, hey, what's it like to be, you know, like it, 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 I, I, I asked you to ask other people around you, people in your family, people you work with, hey, you know, we spent a lot of time together. What's it like to be on the other side of me? And it's, you know, maybe some of those conversations have been interesting for you as you've gotten to realize it. Because the, the problem is, is we don't know what it's like to be on the other side of us. We just know we've had a hard day. We just know that, that, that what we're thinking about at the end of the day when we come home from work, we just know what's going on in our, our hearts and our minds. And a lot of times we can lose sight of what it's like to be on the other side of us. And so we, I asked you to ask that question. And then last week when we were together, uh, or two weeks ago when we were together, um, in preparation for Thanksgiving, we, we said this. We said, uh, we talked about conflict, and we said conflict is like pie. It disappears when everybody eats their piece. And, and, and we talked about that. Maybe you thought of me as you were eating pie this week. You're like, I've got to go eat some pie. You're like, the, the conflict is like pie. It, it disappears when everybody goes to that conflict and slices it up and takes ownership for their part of it and says, you know what, I, you got to forgive me. I, I really, really, I, I wanted something and I, I hurt you to try to get it. And you eat your piece of the pie. Guess what happens? Conflict just kind of disappears. And we, we also said this, and see if some of you guys remember, we said the phrase like when you're in a conflict with somebody, one of the things that you can do is you can say, you know what part of the problem is? Anybody finish it? I'm not getting what I want. You know what part of the problem is? And you can, do, you can point at them, but then you point right back at yourself and say, I'm not getting what I want. And just watch. I, I, I challenge you, like, just, just watch the climate go, ooh, just go, go from, from really, really hot-tempered to cool and even as you guys are get to the point where you can sort it out with that person. Um, that's, what climate, that's what change in forecast has been all about. But, but today, as we wrap up this series, we're going to start a new series next week. Um, I wanted to talk about, I wanted to talk to the person who in order, and this is all of us, because we're all tempted to do this at times, when in order to get a change in forecast in a relationship, we just simply change location. I want to talk to the to you and I when, when we're tempted to think, okay, you know, like I don't like the climate here because every relationship has a climate, so I'm going to go over there. And you, you know, like all of us can have relationships at work, relationships at home, relationships with family members. Maybe you just sense that, like you sat on the other side of the Thanksgiving Day table from that person, because you know, if you get too close, the climate heats up. So you, and you kind of figured out a way to, to, to make the climate work by just changing the location, change the forecast by changing the location. I want to talk about those relationships because those are relationships that honestly, like I, I think that we can maybe get to the point where we say these three words when it comes to this person. I don't care. I, I don't care. We used to be close 
but now we're not, and I don't care. I, I haven't talked to my father in years, and I don't care. My boss and I seem to, don't, can't seem to see eye to eye on anything, so I just do my thing, and he does his, and I don't care anymore. You know, my wife and I used to be closer, but I don't know what happened, and I, I just, I kind of don't care anymore. Whatever it is, my little sister, you know, I'm not sure where she even is right now, and I don't care. I, I want to talk to those of us who have relationships where we're tempted to just kind of throw in the towel and say, I don't care. You know, my son, I, I raised him the same way that I raised all of our other kids, and for some reason, I, I just don't know what happened, and I almost just don't care any more I used to care but it wore me out I used to care but then they left I used to care but when it comes to him or her or them it's so complicated so aggravating I'm tempted to just move away I want to talk about those relationships because I believe that one of the most harmful lies that you and I can harbor and believe in our hearts it, and convince ourselves to believe is, is, is that we don't care. I think that's, it's a very harmful thing and I want to speak against it because, and here's the reason why, I believe that you and I were made to care. I think that you and I were born to care. I, I, I believe honestly that you and I were created to care. Honestly, if, if you don't if you don't hear me say anything else this morning, like like you were made to care. We were made to care for one another. Mothers were supposed were made to care for their kids. Husbands are meant to care for their wives. These are these relationships that we have. We were made for them. And you can say you don't care, and here's the, here's the reality, is you can say you don't care, you can run away for a while, you can just say, like, heck with this, I, and leave home, and you run, 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 and, and then all of a sudden, at some point in time, this, I, I've seen this happen as a pastor, I've seen this story play out over and over again, it's like, I left home, I didn't look back, I ran, and all of a sudden, years later, it was like a big old bungee cord hit me, and it yanked me back, I'm going, I'm going Mach 6 into the future, and all of a sudden, yeah, I'm like yanked back into the past and the reason why that happens is because we, you know, we we've been saying I don't care I don't care I'm going over here and I don't care and the reason why we get yanked back it, it hits us hard sometimes it hits and it hits us at weird times doesn't it like we're just like I didn't see that coming is because we were made to care we were born to care and you can fly through your 20s and you can fly through your 30s and you life is good because you don't care and then all of a sudden something hits you and you go flying back into those emotions like 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 you're right back there where you were you thought you were over it because you know water under the bridge time heals all wounds right not necessarily is true and also you go flying back into that and you're you're years from home you're in a different place and you're a different family and all of a sudden you're angry or you're drinking too much or you're self-medicating, or you're doing whatever you need to do in order to cope with those feelings, and your family's like, what is going on? It's because you were made to care. It's because the reality is it's not about the present and what's going on. It's about something that happened in the past with somebody that you were made to care about. And man, doesn't Thanksgiving bring that out sometimes. 
and Christmas, especially when it comes to family, like it just helps, it's like staring you right in the face. And for some of us, that's why these, these, these holidays are difficult. It's, it's when the bungee cord hits and yanks us back and we don't like that, and so we say, bah humbug, and we just become scrooges about Christmas and, you know, get through the holidays. And the reason is, is because you were made to care. I was made to care. We were born to care. We were created to care. And that's why I think one of the worst things that we can say, especially when it comes to family, is I don't care. One of the most dangerous myths that will catch up with us in the future if we're not careful. So today is for those of us who are are tempted to say, in in any of our relationships, I don't care. And and what I'm going to aim us towards and point us towards is I'm going to move us towards the idea of reconciliation. Everybody just say that word. Say reconciliation. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, uh, this is going to be a challenge. I'm going to challenge you on this message, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. Because if, if, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're like, I want to be like Jesus to the best of my abilities. I place my trust in him. I, I know my eternities with him. If, if, if that's you, I'm going to push you a little bit. Because it's not just something that I believe. Or I, I could say, you know, the Bible says we should. Or you know, I, There's a lot of ways that I could approach this. Like, it's healthy. But honestly, we just, when it comes to this, we don't, you don't, if, you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't really have a choice. We're going to find that out in a second. Like, we, we don't really have a choice. There's something about following Jesus that compels us to pursue this thing called reconciliation. But if you're not a Christian, I'm really glad you're here this morning. Um, because even though this might not pl- apply to you directly, what we're about to look at in Scripture might not apply to you directly. And, and, and if that's you, I'm not, I'm not, like, expecting you to go home and say, well, I guess since the Bible says I should— like, I don't expect that to happen, but as we're looking at it, my hope is that, that, that you could maybe get a little inspiration to try to move towards that relationship because, it, he, here's the deal, I believe that this, regardless of if you're Christian or not, that this is a battle that's still worth fighting. This is a losing battle that's still worth fighting. Even if this doesn't work out, even if you move towards that person and they don't move towards, back towards you, I believe, Christian if you're not a Christian, this is a battle that's still worth fighting. It, 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 if they never eat their piece of the pie and you ate yours and you feel, you know, it's like awkward, it, it's still worth it because this is a, a losing battle that's still worth fighting because, and listen, everybody, everybody look up here, because of what might happen inside of you, putting them aside, Pursuing reconciliation, I believe that something can happen inside of you that might not happen otherwise. And that's why I say, Christ follower or not, I'm going to encourage you to move towards this. But if you're a Christian, you don't really have an option because of verses like what we're going to look at right now. This is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a letter written by a guy named Paul, and he's writing to his, his Christian friends. You'll see that in a second, that, that he's writing to Christians. And in the first five words, he sums up why we need, why as Christians we need to pursue reconciliation. He says this, for Christ's love compels us. 
For Christ's love compels us. That as a follower of Jesus, as you come to grips with what Jesus has done for you and for, for me, it compels us. We all know what to be compelled means, right? Like, it, it compel is a mixture of obligation <laughs> and opportunity. Like, like, have you, like, it's, it's, an, like, you, you're, you're so compelled to, to be thankful for something that you've received that it's like, man, I, I, I need to do this, but I, there's a part of me that I want to do this as well. Have you ever received a gift like that that compelled you to respond? A couple months ago, I, I was at home, and all of a sudden this package came, and, and we get, like, we order, like, 50 things off Amazon a week, it seems like. And, and, I, and I was like, Christy, do you know what this is? Or, you know, like, have you seen this? And she's like, no, I don't know what that is. And we open it up, and inside it is this. This is um, Nick Donoff's Guide to a Big Life. And, and, and for those of you who were at my dad's funeral um, five months ago, this is word for word what I said about my dad the different things about like how to live a big life, like look for excuses to throw a party, treat all people like they're royalty, like, like literally, like, like verbatim, not just kind of, but like spot on in this, and it's like, um, it's, you know, you can see it's a picture of like the lined yellow manila legal pad that like he had everywhere, like everywhere he went, he had one of these things. Um, yeah, and it's just, it, it was just perfect, and it took me like a week to actually figure out who, who did it, because it was just this box. And my mom got one as well. Somebody, a couple other people got one, and we're like, "Where did this come from?" And we had to do a little digging, a little research. We found out it was our friend Brock Edgar, who did it. I was compelled <laughs> to call Brock and be like, "Brock, dude, I've received a lot of cool gifts in my life, but that's that's up there." To not reach out to Brock would have—I would have been a jerk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I had to, but but I I wanted to, as well. Christ's love compels us. Th th God's love is like that. Once you understand and you wrestle with what God has done for us, and really come to grips with it through, through what he's done through Christ. You're like, oh my God. We, I have to respond. When we receive gifts that are so special, so heartfelt, meaningful, given with such heart, it demands a response. What Paul is saying here is that in Christ we've received one of those kinds of gifts. And as we contemplate what Christ has done for us, it compels us to live a certain way. He goes on, for Christ's love compels us because, and, and here's what, why it compels us, we are convinced that one died for all, that, that, that Jesus, when he died, he, it was unlike any other death. It wasn't just a death, it wasn't and even not just a death that was meaningful or inspirational, but like that it actually did something, that he died for us, and therefore all died, and Paul's is talking, see, again, notice here, Paul is talking to a group of Christians who were convinced, right, he says, we are convinced that one died for all, that, that, that Jesus' death was for us, 
and we'll, we'll learn here in a second, in, in order to reconcile you and me, that, that there was a climate in the relationship between you and, and, and God, or me and God, and it wasn't good, it was stormy. And be, what Christ did was, was calm that storm. He was known to do those kind of things in life. And in, in order to reconcile us to God, Christ died for all. When Christ died on the cross, something happened, and that gap between us and God because of sin was, was, was bridged. And those who are willing to humble themselves and accept that gift and say, I, I was wrong. I, I've wronged you, Lord. He gives the right to become children of God. He, he, give, he gives them right standing. He, God no longer sees their sin. He sees his son. For Christ's love compels us because we, we are convinced that one died for all. And he goes on to say, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. So if you've gotten life from Christ, that, you, you, that love compels you to live differently. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We are compelled. Namely, that we should no longer live for ourselves anymore. And when we think of Christ's love, we realize it, lo it changes everything. We, we're going to sing a song about it in like three songs. We're going to sing how God's love changes things. It changes us. Look at, look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That when we, when we come to know that love and we are changed by it, we become a new creation. And see, we celebrate this uh, in, in, in Christianity. We celebrate this in, in baptism. Some of you here, when Luke Westcott was baptized or Jake the drummer, or Tiffany Page, or my daughter, Jovi Donif, like, like that, that's the idea of baptism, is you go down as one being come up as a new creation. It changes how we view ourselves. As we say, I'm no longer going to live for myself, but for him who died for me, it changes how we view our money, it changes how we view our time, and it changes how we view our relationships. It compels us to look at our relationships differently. Verse 18, all this is from God. That is, this, this was God's idea from the beginning, sending his son to show us what love was, to make us new creations. That's all, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of, of reconciliation. It, 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 here's our word a couple times today. He reconciled us to uh, himself, and he says, okay, now I want you to be ministers of reconciliation in the world. But let, let's back up. We need to talk about this word reconciliation because it's not a word we use every day. Probably the way, way we use it the most culturally right now is when it comes to finances, right? To reconcile a bank account or the books, you know, you've got your checkbook ledger, and then you've got what's actually in the bank, and they, don't som they sometimes don't match. And you've got to figure that out. When you figure that out, it, you're reconciling the differences, right? You're getting rid of the differences. I, yeah, that's good. Yeah, it feels good to, to balance your checkbook, and we should do that, absolutely. But I think when it comes to this word, the re word reconciliation really gets its punch 
when we look at it in a relational sense. I, I've, I've used this metaphor before, and I, I love it. I keep thinking about it. I, I didn't come up with it. I heard it somewhere. But um, it's almost like relationships are like gears. You, you know how, like, you, you look at a gear, like two, two wheels, like, with the teeth and stuff like that, two gears? And it's like by itself, it doesn't make much sense. But you, when you put it next to other gears, it, like, you start to see the design. You see how they fit together, how, like, oh, my goodness, there's design. That these were made for one another. And what's, what's interesting, like, with, like relationships, like gears, gears actually can, if without, oil, without proper oil or with too much friction or too much heat, gears that are made for each other can end up destroying one another. And the same thing is true with us. I mean, we've had those relationships where it's like, I, I was made for you. Our hands are like, they're made for one another when we hold them. Or like, like my kids, when I, they just fit in my arms. It's like God made them to fit in, you know, like with me. Like that's what the relationships that were around us are supposed to feel like. Even working relations, it doesn't have to be that intimate. A work, how many of you have ever had a working relationship with a partner? It's like you, you guys finish each other's sentences. That's this. That's, that's gears working together, right? But what happens is without oil with, or t- with, with friction or, or with tension, gears that are made for one another can actually destroy each other. And that's what we experience, the tension in relationships. People, it doesn't matter if we, we feel like we were made for one another in, initially. Over time, if, 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 if sin gets into the relationship, and creates friction, those parts can start to destroy each other. And the only way, and, and, and you get to the point, and, and you get this in the machine world, we get this, like, hmm, this is broken. Is it worth it to fix it? Or is it totaled? You know what I mean? Like, where the cost of fixing it is more than what it would cost to replace it. You, you, we get that in the machine world. It's almost kind of, we kind of feel that in the relationship world as well. But what's interesting to think about is when God looked at the world, when sin entered the world and and saw that it was broken, he didn't think it was totaled. He still thought it was worth going after and saving and and salvaging and restoring is another word that's similar to reconciliation. He, he, He came to this world to restore the world, to, to make it right again, to reshape and mold those pieces so that they can fit back together again, to reshape and mold you and me, to reconcile. This is what, this is what reconciliation means. It's, this is in a relational sense. It means to reform broken parts so that they run smoothly again. Let, let, me, let me read this verse again. All this is from God, who reconciled us. He reshaped us. He formed us to himself through Christ. And and then he says, go do likewise. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this this rich? It means that, that if you're a Christ follower, your life, your words, your behavior is to be a message to others. 
that says basically this. Did you know you could be reconciled to God? Did you know you can be reconciled to God? Did you know, did you know you can be reconciled to God? Did you know that you're not totaled? <laughs> that when God looks at you and all the crap that you've done and the addiction and, and, and you're like when a lot of people might say you're too far gone, God does not say that. He says, did you know you can be reconciled to me through my son Jesus Christ? That's what our lives, that's what it means to, to embody the ministry of reconciliation is, hey, listen, I was broken too. But through God's love, through his son, I was reconciled to him. I was made so that I could be in relationship with him again. That is what our lives, that's what Paul is talking about here. You've been reconciled. Therefore, go and be ministers of reconciliation. God doesn't think you're totaled. God doesn't think you're too far gone. I, you know, like, I know you might think you're going to get struck up by lightning if you come to church with me. I will sit next to you because I don't believe that's true. That's what our lives are supposed to be telling. How God loves us and went to great lengths to prove his love for us. We get to bear that message. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And, and this next line is the most compelling statement out of everything today. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. See, this is so good because I get to talk about Christmas now. <laughs> December 1st, this is the first day of Advent. This is, like, like, uh, this is where the message turns festive. Because the message of Christmas is in Christ, God was able to find a way of doing away with our sins without doing away with us. He was able to separate us from our sins, deal with sin, and then love us the way he wanted to do. Jesus is how God was able to reconcile pieces that were incompatible and fix those parts without throwing them away. See, yet yeah, reconciliation, it's about forgiveness and restoration. And, and, and this is, I, I love this. It's, it's, it's genius. But here, time out. If you're a person who struggles with the idea of sin, struggles with the idea of an angry God, or like, why would someone have to die for me? Like, I, I get it. Those, those are, uh, those are in, like concepts that are hard to grapple with. But basically, like, like, I would say this. Put all that aside for a second. Have you ever looked at the world and thought, oh my goodness, this is a broken place? I, I would ask, have you ever looked at, at the world and your heart grieved over what happens to innocent men? women, and children in this world? Have you ever been appalled by how we as humans can treat one another? It's see, like, like if I think all of us have felt that, and what I believe, the way that I see that is that's the fingerprint of God on our hearts. That longing for, we know something's not right, and we long for it to be better. And see, the, the the biblical worldview is that the reason that is the way it is is because of one thing. It's because of sin. It's because of sin that humans bring into the world, humans bring onto each other that causes strife among us. Gears that were made for each other end up destroying one another. And therefore, you and I long for a world that is a better place. And what we're longing for is the death of sin 
is for sin to be rid, uh, the world to be rid of sin, for sin to be dealt with and addressed. And that's what God gets to do through Jesus Christ. We share that same fervor. We share that same desire for the world to be a different place. And God gets to do that through Christ. I always think, like, like, does God send the devil Christmas cards? Like, we send God, Satan. You know, like, like every year he gets to, like, like, ne- like never do we, uh, God, see, I bet if God trash talks at all, I don't know if he does. If God trash talks, he does so at Christmas and at Easter because that's when he's able to not count our sins against us. Those are the, the holidays that mark him coming to the world to deal with sin and then dealing with sin through the cross in such a way that he gets to send <laughs> he gets to send a christmas card that says merry christmas satan you son of a motherless goat like like that's what i would do i don't know if that's like if god would if he does or not but here's it's it's good mess this is this time of year the message is so beautiful i'm so glad we get to start december 1st with this with the ministry of reconciliation, what Christ was able to do for you and me, and then the fact that he entrusted us with that message. Did you know that you can be reconciled to God? And and here's here's the thing. Here's where it kind of, it gets personal in a sense. Like if you're a Christian and you're unwilling to pursue reconciliation with somebody else, you're bearing this message basically in life. You're saying, you like, like I like I believe that you can be reconciled to God in spite of your sins, but you can't be reconciled to me because of your sins. You see, I, I know that's kind of a jump, but like. When we are unwilling to pursue reconciliation with each other, it's basically like saying, yeah, I believe that God, you can be reconciled with God, but you just can't be reconciled with me. In other words, I have standards. (laughs) And they're higher than God's. You know, God might forgive you, but I'm going to be over here being gloomy and, and callous and distant. You see how this is a disconnect? You see, you see how this, that doesn't work? <laughs> Do you see how Christ's love compels us to something different? <laughs> so, Mom, I, you know, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is you can be reconciled to God. <laughs> you just can't be reconciled to me. It doesn't work. Not when we come to the full understanding of what Christ has done for us. Every time I think about preaching something like this, it's really a hard, because I know, I know there's some rough stories out there. And I know that I don't even know the extent of those rough stories. I know that they're, like, even in a room this size, a, sm- a, a, a small group of people, that if we did open mic and you got a chance to share your horrendous stories of your dad or your family or what she did to you or whatever, that, that I, upon hearing that, me and probably everybody else in the room would be like, no, you're right. 
you don't, you get a pass. <laughs> you get an exemption from the reconciliation because that, they, they don't deserve it. Like, I, I, I know. That's, and I wrestle with that because I don't want to make little of what you've experienced and what you've gone through and the objections that you have. But can I just say this, like reconciliation is not becoming a doormat. It's not, reconciliation is not re-entering an abusive relationship. Like, like sometimes distance needs to be there. Like, like, like I, 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 can we just all agree to that? That there's, he- like there's healthy and sometimes it's not safe. What reconciliation is all about is coming their way in spite of what they've done to you as much as you and I can. Reconciliation is about, you know, every once in a while, opening up the door, opening up your table for the possibility of a relationship again. It's about sending out a Christmas card every once in a while that says, hey, I know we haven't talked to in a while, but here's, here's a picture of the kids. I'm just leaving it there. That, that, that might be what reconcil- a step towards reconciliation looks like for you. I, I, I'm not he- uh, here to tell you what it looks like because I don't know your story. It might be something very simple. But to embody the, the message of reconciliation, especially when it comes to distant family members, what it, uh, to me what it means is just every once in a while making sure that the doors open on our end and being open to Christ's love compelling us to doing something that might be a little awkward, might be a little difficult, might not go well. It's going to be a step towards the mess. And again, this is why Christmas is so important is because it's this time of year when we start to recognize and wrestle with the fact that we should be willing to do that because what if Christ hadn't done that for us? You know, like what if... What if Christ had said, you know what, it's just too messy down there, so Christmas is canceled. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not going. Or, or what, if, what if Christ was like, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on down there, and if I go down there, I might condone it, that activity. I don't know if I can condone that. If he was afraid of condoning things, he would have never, ever came. <laughs> it's going to be messy. And here's the other thing that Christ's love compels us. And I think about this a lot. See, we as Christians believe that Christ died on the cross for everybody's sin. Not just the people who would ask for forgiveness, but when he died, the weight of all that sin of the whole world went on him. And he took that, knowing, knowing, knowing full well that not 100% of the time it would work. Not 100% of the, 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 the sin that he was bearing people would come around and ask for forgiveness for, and he did it anyway. My prayer for you today is that Christ's love, as we roll around and as we think about it, as we sing these songs, compels you. I want to do this. I was going to have you guys stand if you wanted to pursue reconciliation with somebody in your life. I'm not going to do that. It it just doesn't seem right. I would ask, though, sermons have a way of evaporating in the parking lot. 
it's just an occupational hazard for me. It's like, you know, like they just have a way of disappearing. Like what seems really important now in two hours might not seem that important. If you're feeling really compelled to, to reach out to somebody, would you make sure you don't leave this room without telling somebody that? It could be your spouse, it could be a friend, it could be a roommate, it could be whoever. Would, would you do that? Would you be willing to be bold and brave enough to do that, to, to, to make sure that it sticks? Um, I would encourage you to do that. I'm looking forward to the next couple of weeks as Nathan and I are going to start a new series next week. And as we think about Christmas, this is, this is a perfect way to start thinking about it. What happened at Christmas, what God was up to and after by sending his son. And we got a clear picture of that right now. Let's, let's, let's praise him for that. Let's let that sink into our hearts this morning. Let's pray.